Heavenly Father, we come to you and our hearts are greatly rejoicing in this forgiveness that we found, in this purpose and kingdom life that we found. And God, we are rejoicing that even in the midst of trials and hardships, we know, God, that you love us and we are children of God through Jesus Christ. And so while the world is telling us to go our own way and, and, and find our own path to you, God, we stop and declare that Jesus is the path. Jesus, you are the way. And we find our hope not in creating our own path, but in submitting and finding full forgiveness and life in Christ. And so the way we live our life, God, is not to earn your favor, but because we have it. And as children of God who are loved deeply, we now turn around and give gifts back to you. And we give to you in abundance and sacrificially. We give till it hurts because we love you so much. Because of what you've done for us out of hearts of gratitude. And so today, we pray that these gifts would be used for your kingdom. And that the sacrifices that are made around this room today, God, that they would not go unnoticed, but that you would smile at your loved children who are living in obedience. So today, as we prepare to open up your word, God, we ask that your spirit who loves us, who empowers us, would now open up our hearts and our minds to comprehend the word of God and to apply it. Make us different today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to bring Aaron Savage up at this time. If you don't know Aaron, he is uh, our, the chairman of our elder board. So he, he's the, uh, the head honcho and, and the guy that uh, is in charge. Right, Aaron? Uh, apparently, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, he, he lost rock, paper, scissors, and that's how he, he, became, he became chairman. I think you just told me. That's, so, uh, that yeah, was we, the end of it. We pretty much announced it to him. And so here, Aaron, you can use this stand right here. Um, so anyway, but Aaron, uh, I love Aaron deeply. And uh, Aaron gets to preach about two or three times a year here as often as I can uh, talk him into it. Um, Aaron loves the word of God. And he loves the kingdom of God at work in this world. Um, and so uh, I pray that your hearts would be open to what Aaron has to say this morning. All right. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, I spoke at Ignition at Waukee High School. I, I teach there, and uh, every Friday morning before school around 7 a.m., uh, 50-plus students uh, come to the school along with several teachers and counselors, and uh, we do a Bible study. We do a prayer meeting uh, right in the middle of, of a public school. It's a great, great thing that uh, people have started many years ago. And I was giving uh, the talk that particular day, and I was trying to think about what I could talk about, and I, I decided I was going to start off with a question that I wanted them to think about. So I'm going to have that, uh, present that question to you uh, this morning as well. And the question was, since you became a Christian, are you any different? So take a moment to reflect on that. Or another way of, of looking at it, are you living a life that is truly patterned after Jesus that is separate from our culture? To be holy 
means to be set apart. And in our passage today, we'll see God telling us to be holy because he is holy. And to understand the context of this, we'll have to look back to the past. And in order to fulfill this very high calling in the present, we'll have to also look to the future. So for this reason, I've entitled this message, uh, Back to the Future. And many people here, I'm sure, have seen uh, the popular movie series, um, Back to the Future. Um, it was based on real events, I think, so I'm told. But uh, very good movie. Um, you know, the, the main character, Marty, goes back um, in the past to, to see his uh, parents in high school. Uh, he ends up, uh, at one point, going to the present and then going into the future, uh, 30 years into the future, which at that point was 2015. So here we are. Uh, you beat me to that. Uh, I was going to say, here we are in 2016, and a lot of the stuff did come true, and that that has not come true, Pastor Dave. Yeah. The Cubs have not won the World Series, but they are going to the World Series, so uh, this could be their year. Um, however, it could be Cleveland's year because, uh, you know, they won the NBA championship, and so fate is kind of on their side, but we'll see. Uh, I, whatever you think, we'll just have to wait and see. All right. Well, just like Marty, uh, he had to go back in time as well as into the future in order to make sense of his present, uh, we'll have to do the same. So I want to get into today's passage. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13, uh, begins with the word, therefore. So if you have your eyes on the page, look at chapter 1, verse 13, it begins with the word, therefore, and anytime you see the word, therefore, you have to ask, what is it, therefore? And... Uh, Basically, what you have to do is you have to look at what comes before it. So we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter 1.10, and it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You see, the prophets longed to see the day when God would vindicate his people and usher in his salvation and his kingdom. All of Israel's history in the Old Testament was leading to this climax, and it happened. Jesus came. Jesus was the Messiah. He was victorious over sin and death. He poured out his grace. And last week, Dave talked about how the prophets would have been jealous of the people in the first century because they had been longing for this day, and this was the true turning point of all of history. So when we get to chapter 1, verse 13, and it says, therefore, it's kind of like Peter addressing the question, now that we've looked back to Jesus and we look at his victory and remember the reason for our new identity, now what? What does this amazing good news mean for our daily lives? And this was especially important for Peter's audience because they were living as strangers throughout Asia Minor, and they were facing intense persecutions. So they already were believers, but they were probably wondering, all right, now what? What do we do now? And their situation really helps underscore an important reality for us today. We live in a battle zone. Okay, we are on the front lines of a war. As the Apostle Paul said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is still the God of this age, and he's waging a very real war against God and God's people. 
And this is the reality even after Jesus' victory. So what we have to do is continually look back to Jesus' victory. And we do this with communion, right? We, We think back to the victory and the sacrifice of Jesus. But we need to do this more than just once a month or however often we take communion. This is something we need to do daily. We need to remember he won, right? Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. But we also have to see that even though we recognize that Jesus is king, our world does not. So nevertheless, as we live here as resident aliens, God calls us to be holy. Look at verse 5. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So the question really is, how can we be holy in an unholy world? How can we live as set-apart Jesus followers? And in today's passage, Peter gives us three practical ways. First one is prepare your mind for action. Verse 13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. And the literal translation of this phrase is gird up the loins of your mind, which is kind of a strange uh, phrase for us today. But back then, men wore long robes in the first century, And if they wanted to make any sort of quick action, they had to tuck their robes into their belt. And so people would say men were girding themselves for action. So if we are to to be a holy people, today we might think of that phrase as a kind of more modern phrase as rolling up the shirt sleeves of our mind. Okay, And if we want to be holy and set apart and distinct, we can't just expect that this is going to happen automatically. Peter's talking about like a head-heart thing here. What we think matters. Okay, how we think affects our actions. Uh, The ESV translates this verse, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And that being sober-minded evokes a contrasted image with drunkenness. So Peter's saying, how can we prepare our minds for God's work if we're drunk? You know, you lose self-control when you're drunk. And Peter is telling us that as Christians, we need to practice self-control and be perfectly attentive to our actions and make sure that they're in line with Jesus. We need to have a disciplined way of thinking to be in tune with God's plan. So how do we go about preparing our minds for action? How can we be perfectly attentive to God's plan? Well, I think about when I played basketball in high school. Um, At the end of practice, before games, uh, we would sit in the locker room and the coach would... uh, go over things with, we called it chalk talk. And uh, we didn't have a chalkboard, but we had a dry erase board. And the coach would go up there and he would write plays and all the X's and O's. And he would talk about our strategy. He would talk about the kind of mindset we should have for the game. And we would have a game plan. And it would be all about trying to prepare ourselves to execute that game plan. We didn't just show up and play. As Christians, we need to think about our game plan. And uh, I think Hebrews 10 tells us how to do this. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not, meet, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We prepare our minds for action by meeting together with other Christians. This is a really important part of Christian living. We're doing it right here. We do it on Sunday mornings. But we also should be trying to do this outside of Sundays. And people are doing that in our church. We have 
uh, life transformation groups that are meeting where two or three people are getting together during the week. They're getting into the Word. They're encouraging one another. Uh, many of you are a part of Bible studies. Um, what we want to do is we want to make sure that these aren't just programs or things that we're doing where we're learning about God, we're learning about the Bible, and just socializing and leaving it at that. The point of these things is for transformation. And this transformation should lead us to intentionally spur one another on towards knowledge. No, it doesn't say knowledge. It's more than that. Towards love and good deeds. Okay, we want to spur one another on towards action. We need each other to do that. When it's all said and done, being holy in our thought life is not just don't think about improper things. Being holy means that we intentionally and continuously think about our game plan as Christians. Secondly, we need to set our hope on the future. The second part of verse 13 says, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Back in chapter 1, uh, we see Peter talking about how believers have already begun to share in God's salvation, but that our salvation will be complete in the future when Jesus is fully revealed. So in the present, we're supposed to look back and remember and focus on what Jesus accomplished, but we also need to look forward to Jesus' final victory. Peter urges his readers and us to see history as God sees history. We may be suffering now, but our suffering will end. One day we're going to be vindicated. Justice is going to prevail. I love how the author of Revelation puts it in, in Revelation 21. Listen to this. He says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is what we have to look forward to. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Notice this doesn't just mean to focus on Jesus' return and do nothing in the meantime or just continue living your life as you want to. This whole passage is about how we're supposed to live right here, right now, and it's a call to live a very distinct way as followers of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul puts it, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. What we do has eternal significance. We have hope in our future because Jesus is going to fully establish his kingdom we have hope now because we are currently members of God's kingdom. I'm sure once Marty in the movie Back to the Future, once he saw his future, it gave him a whole different perspective on his present. If you've seen the movie, he, he got to see how if he didn't change his actions in the present, he would literally be crippled in the future. But how often do we truly set our hope on what we know Jesus is going to do in the future. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time in the present thinking about the future, but it's usually, what do I need to do today? What do I need to get done tomorrow? What do I need to do the next week and the week after? And thoughtful planning is fine. But Jesus said it's a sin to be focused so much on what tomorrow holds. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But in this context, Peter is saying that we are called to focus on the future. And when we do this, this will help us to be holy. Now, if you think about it today, just look around at how worried and afraid our world is about the future. There is little to no faith in government or any sort of institution in general. 
Our world is obsessed with terrorism. Our world is fearful of all these new challenges we face with globalization. And, you know, in this election season, people are understandably concerned about the future of our country. And so am I. But as Christians, we should have a completely different perspective than the world. When we look back to the past and when we look ahead to the future, we see that Jesus is Lord. When we look back to the past and when we look into the future, we see Jesus is Lord, meaning he's running the show. When people are so afraid about all the chaos in the world and what the future holds, we should stand out as holy people who have complete faith and confidence in God. And this hope in Jesus should motivate us. We're not just some you know, saved souls waiting to get raptured and taken away from this evil world. Someday Jesus is going to usher in a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. And we long for that day. But remember, the Bible says we already are new creations in Christ. We're living, breathing signs of what's to come in this world. Later in 1 Peter, in, in chapter 3, verse 14, Peter says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We're called to be holy. We're called to tell others about this hope that we have. Thirdly, Peter tells, tells us we need to live in reverent fear. Look at verse 17. He says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So ask yourself, do you have a healthy fear and respect for God? Think a moment about all that God has done. Think about how he's the creator of the universe. He spoke the universe. He spoke words to create the universe. Think about all the things we've talked about in our series with Abraham and Jacob, how God covenanted with the nation of Israel, how he rescued them from bondage. Think about how God became a man Think about what Jesus accomplished and what he will do in the future. I don't know that we stop and seriously contemplate how real and awesome God is. Our tendency is to focus on ourselves, right? We're consumed by thinking about ourselves. We try to put ourselves at the center of our lives, but we're not. God is at the center. Whether we realize it or not, God is at the center of everything. And the fact is, we're not here very long. The Bible says it's like a mist. Our life is like a mist. We're just, we're resident aliens. God, though, is altogether a different being than us. Okay, this demands that we have a reverent fear of God. Peter says this is especially the case in light of how God will judge the world. And the fact is, no one can escape this. If there is a God, and if Jesus is God, and if he's holy, he must judge. God's holiness is different than our holiness. And he's altogether different than us. For God, sin is not just an offense. Sin is utterly repulsive. It's completely antithetical to his holiness. God has to judge sin if he's holy. To be holy and not judge sin would be impossible. And it would be very disappointing as well. Right? 
Things like murder and rape and war would go unpunished. Justice would cease to exist. But God will not turn his back on evil. He will not let any trace of sin or injustice exist in his creation after his final judgment. That would be against his character. And that would make a holy God somehow complicit in sin. So knowing this should lead us to a healthy fear and awe of him. This should be the healthy response of a human being before an altogether different kind of being. And this is especially true for us, you know, in light of how we've been redeemed. Peter says that our former way of life was empty, but now we've been redeemed. Or we've been purchased with a price. And that price was very costly. It was was the very blood of Jesus. So think about it. Our natural condition was fallen and depraved. Our verdict was guilty. And yet God has made atonement for us through Jesus' death. Price is paid. We've been ransomed by God himself. So we need to be grateful for that. We need to celebrate that. We also need to have a healthy fear of a God who takes sin so seriously that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as we think about this call to be holy in an unholy world, and Peter gives us some very practical ways to do that, I want to see how we can apply that. And I want to challenge you. Because Peter doesn't just say be holy sometimes. He says be holy in all that you do. God has called us and he enables us to actually be holy, to be set apart and to stand out in our culture as a peculiar people. And it's not about just following a set of of rules or living as separatists. Okay, we're not called to live in a Christian bubble so that we don't get polluted by the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And I think we can learn uh, an important lesson about this from the American Puritans of the 17th century. Uh, J.I. Packer described the Puritans this way. He said there was, for them, no disjunction between sacred and secular. All creation, so, so far as they concerned, was sacred, and all activities of whatever kind must be sanctified, that is, done to the glory of God. They understood, the Puritans understood that everything was sacred because even though our world is tainted by sin, God is still the sovereign ruler of all things. And because God became one of us and did the unthinkable and died on the cross for us, he's taking back his creation. So all parts of life should be seen as sacred. But there's another lesson we can learn from the Puritans. Uh, They got a lot of things wrong as well. As they strove to be holy, they tried to establish a Christian commonwealth. So they they tried to establish a Christian society where they combined church and state. And in their zeal to be holy, they wanted the church to be in charge of all of society. Their thinking was if they, the holy ones, could control the government, control the laws, and ultimately control everybody's actions, they could establish God's kingdom. And this didn't work out so well, right? They ended up forbidding pretty much all forms of dissent. They cleared the way for this Christian commonwealth by engaging in a very bloody military conquest of Native Americans. 
They even hanged other Christians, fellow Christians who weren't following certain Puritan practices. So God has not called us to take over society. We're not supposed to force society to conform with Christianity. Many have tried and many have failed. God has called us to transform society by living countercultural lives where we love God and sacrificially love others. When you think about our community here in Waukee and in the Des Moines area, our community desperately needs to see that there's more to life than just having a nice home or driving a nice car or making sure that all our kids are all-star athletes or all-star band members or all-star students and that they go to a good college and get a good job. Our community desperately needs us to not just blend in with society and then just go to church every once in a while. They need to see what difference it makes to be a Christian. They need to see that we prioritize our lives differently. The way we relate with our spouses, the way we relate with our kids, the way we spend money, the way we talk to coworkers or strangers, the way we engage in other people's lives, the ways we don't gossip or cut corners or use profane language or watch the same sort of garbage that's on TV that everybody else is watching. So in closing, I just want to challenge you as, as God's word does, be holy in all that you do. We need to live like we're different because we are. We're peculiar. We should stand out as being weird. We should look different than the world. But then again, we serve a very peculiar, wonderful, awesome God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have come into our world to rescue your creation, to rescue us. We look back to what that took, to the cost that that entailed, where you died on the cross for our sins. You rose again to new life. And you have given us new life because of that. We also today, Lord, look forward to the day that you return. The world is chaotic. Many of our lives here are chaotic. There's evil in the world. It's tough. But Lord, we look forward to the day when you return and when you will make all things right. And we thank you, Lord, that you have enabled us through your Holy Spirit to be holy as you are holy, to be separate in our daily lives, to live lives that are different, where each of us are living, breathing examples of what it means to be transformed by your Spirit. We fail, Lord, but you're big enough to handle that. And we thank you for your grace and I pray that you would continue to use people in our church to be holy and to make a difference. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.